1: Hello, and welcome into Airing It Out, a podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber, and I'm joined, as always, by Josh Moyer. Josh, how's it going?
0: Hey, another day, uh, more football. Can't complain.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, and the football was not great this past Saturday. Uh, it was suboptimal for probably about two and a half oh, quarters been, for both It's been teams. suboptimal
0: for the last five weeks. But, but good news, football fans, it's going to get good this week. Penn yeah. State, Iowa, I mean, listen, we... We thought early on in the season, Maryland beat Syracuse. We think, hey, you know what? That's going to be – Penn State-Maryland is going to be a great game. Not so much. We think, you know, a few weeks ago, hey, Rondale Moore from Purdue, K.J. Hamler against Penn State, tremendous matchup. Doesn't happen Rondale Moore gets injured. Not a very fun matchup. Penn State-Iowa at night at Kinnick Stadium if hey if you like if you like college football, these are the type of games you look forward to, especially if you like low scoring games and defenses then i mean this is this is your dream game, John
1: yeah, I mean I'm excited for this game as a football fan, you know it's going to be the the atmosphere like you mentioned at Kinnick is un almost unmatched in college football. uh James Franklin has said before the fans are literally on top of you uh, yep. on the field, and it makes life difficult uh you know it's going to be a really, really interesting game, you know. Well, let's take a step back first. Well, well,
0: can I – I just want to interject one thing because, uh, you know, I just got out of press conferences, and and this was the highlight of my day, really, John. It was, uh, you know, Kinnick Stadium has pink locker rooms for the away team, you know, to kind of get into their head. So, Micah Parsons was asked, you know, hey, if you were building your own stadium, you wanted to get into your opponent's head, you know, what would you – what would you put in the locker room, you know, to get into their head? His answer, which I loved, ants. (laughs) <laughs> so, so what? Do, why do I bring that up? Because I love it. There's really no rhyme or reason, John, but I couldn't go another minute without sharing that with with you and and our listeners. So, so we can move on now. But I love Micah Parsons' idea. He said he hated bugs, and that would definitely get in my head if there was a locker. Room yeah. To, to be fair, I'd be totally off my game. I wouldn't be doing anything if there were a locker a room of any kind of
1: bug Not even a locker room full of them. Five or six. I'm done. I'm cooked. I'm out, and I'm leaving the game. And we're not doing any work the rest of the night. But you know, let's let's talk about something uh, that obviously was brought up in the press conference today. You know, on you know a more serious note about you know uh, a a uh, Penn State alum who sent a letter to Jonathan Sutherland. You know, uh, this uh, yeah, this and, and that's the only way to call it. You know what I mean? It's it's an idiot. You know, uh, talking basically smack to a kid who has long hair because he has long hair with a bunch of other issues in the letter too. And honestly, I think James Franklin probably handled it as well as he could have given the circumstances. And given that he does want to direct attention back to Iowa, uh, you know, had an emotional opening statement that, uh, you know, it was he, he had said that he had thought of it the night before. Uh, what were your thoughts on how Franklin handled that and, you know, how this can affect the team this
0: week? Well, well, well for, for for those listeners who have been, you know, living under a rock or had their right. ears plugged the last couple of days, you know, maybe let's just catch him up here a little bit. But essentially a 78-year-old man from Johnstown uh, – uh, Dave Peterson, who has complained to the local paper there about all sorts of things like tattoos and babies and, you know, what old people tend to complain about. And he sent a, a letter to uh, redshirt junior Jonathan Sutherland, essentially just decrying his dreadlocks, saying that they're awful, they're ugly, they're, they're unattractive. You know, you're representing Penn State out there, you know, represent Penn State the right way. And obviously, a lot of teammates took offense, labeled it racist because, well, it clearly is, um, even if it's not overtly racist. And, um, you know, it's, it's become a, you know, kind of a, a big thing now. I mean, Penn State condemned it. Sutherland came out and, and offered forgiveness, uh, you know, to the man who doubled down on his comments this morning. So, I mean, you know, listen, r- racism is out there every day. We're, we're not telling people anything you know they don't know, and and I mean, listen, as a WASP, you know, a, a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant here, you know, I, I'm not exactly the, the 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 expert on race, but you know, it, you gotta you gotta give props to to defensive tackle Antonio Shelton, who's been outspoken from the beginning. He's the one who shined a light on this, and when you have you know examples of overt racism like this, uh, you know, I think it's always good to to obviously you know shine a light on that, and I thought James Franklin's comments today were very powerful he got choked up near the end, essentially saying that you know football is is something that's unifying and and you know where where people of all creeds and all colors and all beliefs come together for for one common purpose and that's one of the few things in in america and, and in the country that you know you can you can have this this unifying force of you know love and peace and okay, maybe that sounds a little hippy dippy but I mean, you know, he really did speak sincerely and I thought, you know, said what needed to be said. So, I mean, you know, props to James Franklin, too. I mean, this is, you know, this is an issue that doesn't just impact football. You know, it impacts, you know, everyone, you know, all across the country. And, you know, Penn State football doesn't have its head buried in the sand. It's been at the forefront, you know, of a lot of these issues. I mean, even going back to, you know, Wally Triplett and we are. So, I think Penn State as a whole has has really kind of, you know, condemned um, you know, this one, you know, singular fan and what he's had to say, you know, and has, has really moved forward. So, I mean, yeah, that was – it's not something we deal with every week, but, you know, I think it was handled pretty perfectly by Penn State.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I, I think you said that pretty well. You know, uh, I think it was important, too, to note that, that someone asked Franklin a follow-up, too, and usually if he addresses something in the opening statement like that, he doesn't answer after that. And you can tell he didn't want it to, but he also saw it important to mention that, you know – the team and the players and the coaches don't stick their head in the sand on what's going around on around the community and everything. And it's important that, you know, they recognize what's going on. They discuss it as a team. Uh, and I thought that was valuable because, like I said, he usually doesn't readdress something like this. Um,
0: yeah. Now, if only the NBA could get its head out of the sand. Yes. Um, or, if I could, out of its ass. And, yes. But, but hey, that, that, that's a conversation for another time.
1: Yeah, no. It, I mean, we've seen this a lot in, in sports and literally the last week uh, a lot of issues with race and you know uh and social issues become even more prevalent there are always issues like that in sports uh and you know they've they've become prevalent once again and now it's touching directly in state college and i I think the team is going to rally around this rally around sutherland who clerical note you know he's a redshirt sophomore not a redshirt junior oh oh, my my mistake (laughs) but no obviously irrelevant to the conversation but like he uh he um you know he's he's a guy who doesn't play a ton for this team, uh, but when he plays, he plays with a lot of aggression and, and you know uh, passion out there. And then you see him put out th- this statement in response. I don't know if you've seen it yet. He yeah. responded the by
0: captain, special teams, backup safety. Absolutely.
1: Yep. Saying that you know he can't respect a, an opinion of a, a person he doesn't respect, and I think that's the proper way to handle that. And you know I think Penn State's going to move forward stronger as a team because of this. Uh, and you know it's going to unify them in some sense. And uh, yeah, like you said. Uh, Dave Peterson doesn't speak, I assume, for most Penn State fans, and I think the, the letter in itself is ridiculous. Of course, his response to double down on that letter was even more ridiculous, but at the end of the day, I don't think I'm too surprised by that response from him, and I'm sure you're not either. I, I mean,
0: listen, there there are obviously racists in, and, and, you know, every football fan base, and, and listen, you don't need to call someone the n-word to, to to be a racist. You know, there's, you know, a lot of different ways, and, and you know, Dave hit on one, so you know, listen, on I think more if, than one. Well, yes, this is very true. But you know, I think you know, hey, uh, you know, uh, hopefully he, if he doesn't understand yet, I, I mean, he's not on Twitter. He's seventy-eight years old. You know, hopefully someone sits him down, shows him J- the video of James Franklin talking, you know, talking emotionally, reads to him the, you know, the, the note by Jonathan Sutherland. You know, where you know he talks about you know forgiveness and and, and talks about you know what he thinks of, of this guy's opinion and you know what maybe that doesn't change Dave Peterson's mind at all. You know, it's kind of hard to to change someone who, who set in their ways, but you know, if nothing else, it brought more awareness to the issue. And, you know, I think you kind of saw Penn state's true colors when, you know, everyone kind of rallied around Jonathan Sutherland and the team. So, you know, I don't really want to give this idiot uh, Dave Peterson anymore, you know, kind of pub, but you no, know, I think it was an important thing for, for Penn state to address. And I think it's a good thing that we addressed and, you know if more people would so
1: yeah yeah very well said and like you said no reason to give him more publicity for something that was just idiotic and, and shameful honestly so let's let's move forward by looking back a little bit we're not going to touch too much on this Purdue game that was essentially worthless outside of a few things as always we're going to talk about Sean Clifford's performance here uh what did you think of how he played uh and I, I mean especially we saw a different different Sean Clifford in the first what 16 to 20 minutes of the I game say,
0: first about the first like quarter and a half, maybe. Yeah.
1: And, and then the, the, the next, you know, quarter and a half after that was a totally different player. So what did you see from him in the game as a whole? And, you know, what changed for, in your opinion, for him
0: uh, throughout the game? Uh, I mean, listen, on the positive end, Sean Clifford, the way he played the first three games compared to the last two, I mean, y- you've got to feel a lot better. I think, you know, listen, we did see him take a step. He was, he was nearly perfect, um, you know, against Maryland. And he started off Purdue. You had four, dri- four touchdowns on the first four drives. He he completed nine passes in a row at at one point. I think he's shown, you know, listen, we we said before, hey, this guy has it, has it. But, you know, when's he going to put it all together? I think he's put most of it together. I think we've seen that. It's just now it's become a consistent consistency thing. And it wasn't just Sean Clifford. I think it was the entire Penn State offense. I mean, really until Noah Kane got the ball again, which, hey, Penn State learned from its mistakes. You know, Pitt. They 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 put him in for for one drive. He scores a touchdown, has like three quarters of the drive's yards, and we never see him again. Pitt, you know, James Franklin says afterward, hey, you know, we we should probably play him more at the end of games. So what happens against Purdue? They put him in toward the end of the game, and he has like an 82-yard fourth quarter. You know, now people think he's maybe the team's best running back. You know, I've been he's been my number one since the preseason, and yeah, I mean it's just it's just wild how this when this offense is on few are better but when this offense is off few are worse I don't think there is a team in college football that has a higher ceiling and a lower floor and I think that's what we saw uh, against Purdue
1: yeah I think that's a fair assessment and I think a lot of that goes back to to play calling and you know we give Ricky Ronnie a lot of credit against Maryland because he really caught a pretty perfect game there. Uh, he caught a really good first 20 minutes of this game, and then it seemed like they went away from a lot of things that worked for them. They weren't trying to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers. Uh, Clifford looks looked a little bit rattled, and then, of course, they get into the fourth quarter, and they looked fine again, You know, with, especially with Kanan on that drive. Uh, and I think part of what's going to help Clifford a lot this year is that consistency in the run game best way to get the consistency is to play your best backs and I think for, for me that, that is, is a novel idea yeah John. crazy you know, I know playing but, your best players I mean you know you'd be surprised apparently it's it's more difficult <laughs> maybe you, you should write a letter to Ricky <laughs> Ronnie about uh but no I mean but at this point like I mean I still think Devin Ford is the best back on the team the most talented and will be by the end of the year uh you know the guy who gets the most touches but it seems clear to me that him and Kane are really separating themselves as the two best backs on this team Cause journey Brown wasn't great. Journey Brown was good. I'll, I'll give him that, but he's, he, like you mentioned last week too often, it's one to two yard, one to two yards. It's not three to four yards, uh, or he's losing two to three yards, you know, but he's, he's a quality home run threat out of the backfield. And well, he, I think he should yeah, be he used
0: Can't say anything. I mean, listen, I I think everyone is in agreement from the staff to the fans, to teammates, top three backs, you know, have to be, those three guys, and, and number four is Ricky Slade. I mean, you hate to say that, but I mean, listen, you know, it, it. Maybe a guy hasn't separated himself at the top, but but right now, Ricky Slade has separated himself, you know, from the bottom. Yeah, and, I mean, and he just has.
1: And, and it's not always his fault, as you made note a couple times while we were watching the game Saturday. Yeah, it seems like yeah. the run blocking is markedly worse when he's in there. I don't, I don't get it. But I mean, yeah, it, it's not all his fault. Uh, Absolutely he, not. He, it, it is. He does need to be better, though, to continue to work his way you know, uh, as part of this rotation. But like you said, I think right now there's a clear top three. I think we're going to see this move towards a clear top two with Brown used in the role I think Penn State wanted to use him as as a return man. You know, as a guy, you go for a home run threat. You know, uh, he's a nice receiver out of the backfield. If you up, get him the ball behind the line of scrimmage, on wheel routes, various types of things where he can use his speed in the open field. Uh, and, you know, that's probably going to be the best version of this Penn State offense is one that's relying on Kane and Ford out of the backfield as the two primary weapons. Now we'll see how quickly they were, they're they willing to move to that because I know it's it's yeah. tough to to finally commit to that because, you know, Journey Brown has done a lot for the program. He has helped a lot, you know, play special teams. He said before time and time again, he'll do anything he's asked, and he's proven that on the field over and over again. Um, but, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think Slate is, you know, working himself out of this rotation, and we'll see, you know, what his touches are like. In a game this week that is going to be – you know the biggest game for Penn State, uh, probably until Ohio State. You know, I'd say this is bigger than the Whiteout just because uh, I think I think they've got a chance to win the Whiteout game convincingly. I don't know that they win this game at all, uh, and and I think because of that, this is a more important game to uh for penn state uh like i said i don't i don't believe in michigan i,
0: I haven't all year uh, I, they're a bad team who well you uh, beat, did pick iowa to beat michigan so i, did. I mean you, I did. you have been wrong about you know michigan before
1: in my defense they just outbatted at each other's offense like those were two of the worst offenses <laughs> in the country it seemed like on saturday watching the game uh both teams couldn't get anything going you so can't
0: give Michigan any credit can you absolutely not
1: i won't and as long as they're bad i won't either not bad to be clear they're I mean, an 8 I, and
0: 14 i mean listen i i won't say that this game is is bigger than the whiteout. i mean i understand why you would say that and and i mean it obviously is a, a big game it's penn state's biggest game to this point it's the only ranked team they faced to this point it's on the road it's it's actually you know a, a difficult atmosphere to play in I mean Maryland. I mean God, that felt like a freaking home game for Penn State in the second half. No, oh, it I was mean, a home game. Even in the first half. I mean, you know, I mean, geez, if Penn State fans didn't, you know, didn't make up forty percent of that stadium, I would have been surprised. But you know, so so you know, this is kind of their their, their first real test. And I mean, you know, the Penn State Michigan game doesn't mean nearly as much if, if Penn State's going into it with one loss. So so yeah, I, I mean, I can I I can see know why you would say that but i just think you know penn state wide out 7 30 p.m i mean you want to keep up the momentum you know keep your fan base excited you know you can lose to iowa if you beat michigan i mean and again because it comes down to penn state can lose one of these games it isn't the end of the world if they lose to iowa you know if they beat ohio state then you know come november they're still at the top of the standings because they hold the tiebreaker then over ohio state that's that's really what matters so so yeah, you know what? I'm I'm gonna have to I'm I'm gonna have to uh, call fake news on that, uh, you know, John Sauber.
1: I stand by that statement. I still think this game is like I said. It's it's a matter of this game is not nearly as winnable as Michigan is. I think they're both winnable. Uh, I honestly, like I said, think Penn State could blow out Michigan like they did two years ago in the whiteout. I wouldn't be surprised to see that outcome. I fully expect this to be a one-possession game at Kinnick at night on Saturday night, and it might come down to who has the ball last. And I, you know, like you said, they can't afford to lose one of these three games. But I still think you want to win all three. And if, oh, yeah. if they if they <laughs> if they win this game Saturday, I think they win all three.
0: You know, I've, I've been swaying. whoa whoa whoa. You're yes. talking. We're not talking Michigan. um Michigan State. Iowa and – oh, okay. I thought you were referring to Ohio State. I wanted to make sure I'm like, are we talking about
1: Michigan State or Ohio State? Still too far down the road on that Ohio State game. Ohio State's still probably beating this team if they play today. Uh, We'll,
0: Well, rank those three teams for me, though. Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State, best to worst. You know how this is going. Iowa, Michigan State, Michigan, in that order.
1: Okay. Uh, and I don't think the bottom two are nearly as good as the top one. Uh, See, I mean – And I understand well, that. So I would just be, be –
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I fully understand Your, your Big Ten power <laughs> rankings would be all out of whack this week. People <laughs> would be writing you letters left and right. Uh, my biggest
1: issue is that Nick Stanley isn't as bad as he played this past Saturday. I mean, I'm going to say he's not a elite quarterback by any means. He has struggled <sighs> against Penn State in the past. Uh, but I think he's just a slightly above average quarterback. And, you know, the Michigan defense finally, you know, showed up. Uh, this past weekend. And the offense at Michigan did what it usually does. I think if that game's played at Kinnick, Iowa wins that game. And I think home field is the, the determining factor there. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, Iowa to me is the better team. There's a more consistent team offensively, Offensively, they just didn't show up this past Saturday and that happens in college football. We see it all the time. Uh, but yeah, I, the, the Mich- the Michigan offense is just bad at this point. You know, there's no real way around
0: it. Uh, I think it's, it's funny when we talk about these different teams and, you know, with Iowa, it's, oh, you know, can, can Nate Stanley find his groove this game? You know, oh, is, is Brian Lewerke, uh is he really a good quarterback for Michigan State? Oh, is, is Shea Patterson, is he the answer at Michigan? No. And, and then we get to Penn State, and and we're not talking about Sean Clifford as much. It's, is Ricky Ronnie going to call a good game this you know, Well, this I think Michigan is going to have a good plan. I think Michigan is the same issue. Uh, well, honestly. that that's true. With and Josh it's funny guys. with the James yeah. Franklin coaching tree. Of, yeah. Well, no, and, and I
1: mean, people ridiculed Franklin for choosing Ronnie over Gaddis. He might have made the right choice. I well, mean, it's, yeah, I think I,
0: I think now we know at Alabama who was calling the plays. Yeah, uh, Mike Loxley. Yeah, uh,
1: and that, like I said, that Michigan offense has just been so brutal. It's funny you mentioned that though. You know there are concerns at quarterback for these other three teams. I don't think Penn State has as many of those concerns with Clifford because yeah. he's shown what he can do. Yeah. Uh, Shea Patterson has shown how bad he can be. Uh, Nate Stanley showed and how bad he can be.
0: The work he's probably the best of the three, <sighs> but has still had some pretty terrible games in his own right. I mean, Stanley, Stanley is close there too for me. See, like I, you know, maybe it's just you know bias on on my end, you know, confirmation bias. But when I see Nate Stanley, I almost see you know Anthony Morelli for Penn State, and by that I mean you know, you look back at at the final stats to his career, and it's funny, if you talk to a current college student, you know, they think Anthony Morelli was wonderful. If you talk to someone who went to school during that time, they think Anthony Morelli was the worst quarterback ever, because he always seemed to dominate the bad teams, put up a lot of stats, but when he played the top defenses, you know, ranked teams, he always seemed to fall apart. He never did as well, and I can't help but see Nate Stanley, and and maybe it's not as extreme as it was for, for Penn State's Morelli, but I mean, you know, last year he played a good defense in Penn State, and, you know, he just did terribly. When he plays an elite defense in Michigan, he throws three interceptions. You know, can't even score a touchdown. It's Iowa's lowest offensive output in eight freaking years. I mean, you know, elite quarterbacks, great quarterbacks, hell, good quarterbacks don't do that. You know, so – so I don't know. I mean, I, I think it is pretty close, you know, between those guys. But but honestly, right now, I was thinking this on the car ride over. Who's the second best quarterback in the Big Ten? I mean, I would say Justin Fields right now is number one. Is Clifford number two already? Uh,
1: it might be Clifford. I mean, you can make an argument for Jack Cohn, but he doesn't have to do much at yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it might be Clifford. I mean, but I think the main point is – I think I would take Clifford is, before I would take Cohen. I think I would too, but I think the main point is it's fields and everybody
0: else at this I point. mean, that. well, that's also it, And it's not – But if I'm doing, like, a, you know, first four or five games, all Big Ten team, you know, I guess I put Sean Clifford on my my, my second team right now.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, that. I would have to imagine you do so. Adrian Martinez hasn't lived up to the billing this year in Nebraska. Oh, uh, well,
0: Nebraska hasn't lived up to the billing this year. Goodness gracious. They barely got past Northwestern.
1: Yeah, no, the, they've been pretty brutal this year, as has most of the Big Ten, though. Uh, uh, also true. And and Tanner Morgan has been, you know, relatively good at Minnesota. I couldn't remember his name, as you can see, that I had to Google it, which is <laughs> fantastic. But he was very good against Purdue. I believe he had four touchdown passes. was thirty against Purdue. Fair. But, you know, there there are guys in that mix. But you're right. Among these top teams, especially Clifford is probably the second best quarterback in the group uh and you know that's a good sign for penn state at least yeah. as, if they've got the best quarterback among those you know the four themselves and the next three teams are going to play and they might have the best defense among that group too then they've got a real shot to go three and oh like
0: i said in those games uh and you know i'm i mean they might be favorite i mean penn state is if they're a four-point favorite against iowa you've got to think that they're going to be favorite be against michigan michigan. at home and then michigan state yeah, I mean, I, I'm certainly not sold on on you know Sparty yet either. Um, you know, I mean, they almost seem like a clone of Iowa. I mean, look at what they did against Arizona State. I mean, what was that final score? Ten to seven. Uh, it was brutal, is what it was. I don't <laughs> think anybody enjoyed watching that game. But yeah, you know, the this is a Penn State
1: team that that is probably going to be favored in this next three games. And I actually think there's a line out already on Michigan that they're they're already favored. You know, so it, it points. Do you, to – You know a, what the spread to that is? Um, it is. They are a three-point favorite against Michigan, as of now, according to uh, the Valley Forge Casino and and FanDuel. But, you know, there's only one game where Penn State is probably going to be an underdog the rest of this year, uh, and that is against Ohio State. They're favored against um, Michigan State. They're favored against Minnesota. They're obviously favored against uh, Rutgers and Indiana.
0: (laughs) <laughs> don't mean to put Indiana yeah, in yeah, the i Rutgers back I mean,
1: but Rutgers at, is its own bucket. It,
0: but yeah, Rutgers. Yeah, will Rutgers be favored at all? You know, the rest of the season. I mean, can they scrimmage themselves? I, they would still find a way to lose. I, you know, like listen, I, I'll get on this topic every week because it's one of my pet peeves. That that you know, and by pet, what's one of my pet? Rutgers continued existence. Like, the,
1: yeah, they're just so brutal. I oh god, it and it continues to get worse somehow. I don't get it. Oh like, well,
0: I. So their best player now, Raheem Blatch here, um, you know, said that he's redshirting this year. He's their best player. And it looks like then he's going to transfer after the season. And and their quarterback, Sakowski, you know, appears to be contemplating the same. So, I mean, it, it's just uh, – just when you think the dumpster fire can't get any brighter, you know, like, I don't know. Then it's just like the, you know, the dumpster itself just manages to catch fire again. It's It's, it's absolutely incredible. It's good kind of comedic relief, but – I mean, just you know, get a good them game out. to close the year with. Yeah, I mean, like you know, Rutgers. I mean, you know, I joked that you know they're as bad as an FCS team. They're not, but they're like a really bad MAC team. Like, like get them out of here. You know, get, I mean, if you need the New York market, like like you know, pull in Syracuse or you know something. I mean, Rutgers. Ugh, what an embarrassment.
1: Yeah, just just a brutal program that has no real direction. Uh, Fires another head coach with Chris Ash, you know, after knowing they were going to fire him for two weeks. But that's another diet diatribe for another day for both of us that I'm sure we'll go on not long after this podcast right. ends. Stay tuned but, <laughs> for the Rutgers podcast in a few weeks. Oh, That'll God. be entertaining. Yeah, that's going to be about 45 minutes of jokes hurled Rutgers' way, so that should be fun for all Penn State, I'm, State I'm fans looking
0: to forward to that. So am I. Uh,
1: but, yeah, you know, this is – but back uh, on okay. the okay, Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's here. get back on – you know,
0: I tend to – Hey, you mentioned Rutgers. This is your yeah, fault. sorry. I'll but take the blame let's, let's on that get, one. Let's, let's get back on track with Iowa.
1: But, yeah, no, Iowa presents a really interesting matchup for Penn State uh, because it's almost the exact same matchup that Michigan's going to present. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a power run offense. Michigan tends to run out of the spread more, uh, whereas Iowa runs out of single back. They'll go I-form and no more traditional under center looks. Uh, and you have a run game that that can dominate you with offensive line talent Tristan Wirfs, one of their offensive tackles, an athletic freak. I believe he was number one on Bruce Feldman's freak list uh, this past year. It's probably going to be a top ten pick in the draft. Incredible athlete. Uh, you know, he's going to probably see a lot of Etor gross I would imagine. That should be a really, really fun matchup. Um, and then, of course, Iowa has their own, you know, version of Gross-Montos mm-hmm. and A.J. Epineza, who is one of the best defensive ends in the country. Uh, and, you know, he's going to present a very difficult matchup for, you know, Rasheed Walker and Will Fries. So it will be really interesting to see – what those two defensive ends are, are able to do in this game, and I get the feeling that one of them is going to be a game wrecker, and whoever does it is going to be the one that wins the game for his team.
0: You know, you look at the both defenses to this to these teams, and there might be six, you know, six plus, you know, future day one or or day two draft picks. I mean, you know, there's a lot of of defensive playmakers, a lot of defensive highlights, you know, just waiting to happen in this game, which. I mean could be why you know we see another 6-4 game on Saturday night but I mean yeah if you like defense uh what I think Penn State is second in the nation in scoring defense Iowa is second or third in the nation in scoring defense and I want to say the Las Vegas over under for this game is about you know maybe 42 and a half uh which again is funny because I think Penn State is averaging close to that you know on its own but I mean, both of these defenses have a lot going for it. You know, Penn State right now leads the nation in sacks per game with five. I mean, you really can't say enough about it. So, uh, yeah, I think this will – If listen, if Penn State somehow goes off this game, scores 30-plus points, I mean, you know, goodness gracious. I mean, we should start talking about the college football playoff later that night. But, you know, I think we're all kind of expecting a low-scoring game because of that firepower. and. And uh, whereas Iowa, the different, the big difference to me is, you know, Iowa has these great offensive tackles. They have a reputation for being a, a good offensive line. Uh, Penn State doesn't. Penn State does not have great offensive tackles, um, and Iowa has a. Rasheed good Walker has been line. admittedly
1: pretty great this year. I'll give him credit. Who's for that? You. Rasheed Walker for Penn State has been been pretty great this year. Uh, but yeah, no, I think you're generally right. He's good,
0: but I would still take Worfs over. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I don't think I don't think anyone's <laughs> going to question that. But it is, you know, and you're right. It's that that strength on strength matchup. I think it's interesting the comparison here of Penn State's playmakers compared to Iowa's oh, playmakers. Yeah. Because if they can get their playmakers the ball and get them in space, they there is a scenario where they get to 28, 31 points. You know, I, I don't think it's likely, but because they have the big playability, they can. Whereas Iowa, for them to win this game, is going to be 13, 17. You know, somewhere in that range. You're not going to score too much. You're going to beat them down. I mean, they're bludgeon them. Uh, and, and Amir Smith Marset, their best wide receiver, is going to have to, you know, put on a, put on a show this weekend. Uh, that'll be another interesting matchup with three Castro fields. Really, just fantastic matchups across the board in this game.
0: Uh, you know, and, and what what is your matchup that you're sort of looking forward to seeing this weekend? You know, for me, I guess it's just in the trenches. I mean, I need to, you know, sit down and take a closer look at it. But I mean, I think that's where this game is obviously going to be won or lost. Uh, you know, Penn State's strength is its, you know, is its defensive line and its front seven, and and, uh, you know, for, for Iowa, I mean, it's its, it's defensive line as well. I, I guess to me, I think the key to this game, if I had to pick, would be Iowa's defensive line versus Penn State's offensive line. I'm going to be looking at, at that especially more than anything. I think if, if Penn State wins that battle, it wins the game. Yeah, I think it could win the game handily if it wins that battle. I mean, you, you have when, – when Penn State can run the ball and Sean Clifford doesn't have to carry the entire load, you know, good things happen. When Penn State can get his players in space because – Clifford is being given enough time you know good things can happen but you know if Clifford is being you know flushed out of the pocket if he's running an RPO and he's keeping the ball most of the time I mean, I mean you know we saw him struggle with that before you know not hitting the holes quite as quite as well you know if if it's a little bit jumbled um, you know the, the the vision isn't quite there and you know that's why I think you know J1 Sider when when he talked to us two weeks ago one thing he said is that You know, different running backs, you know, might see more time based on the opponent. And I think for a team like this with a strong defensive line, that there's probably not going to be a whole lot of running room. I think someone like, again, I think Noah Kane fits in really well with that. Because as as James Franklin said, as everyone knows, you know, this is a guy who's going to pick up three, four, five yards every carry. He's not going to go backwards. He's not just going to get you one yard or, or fall down at the line of scrimmage. And I think that's exactly what Penn State needs to move the ball in this game. I think he should be the the bell cow in this game. This should be where we really see, you know, the Noah Kane show that even if he doesn't start he damn well better be in the, the second series or third series that Penn State comes out on.
1: Yeah, I think you make a great point about Noah Cain being the guy that's going to run between the tackles. But I think the best way to attack this Iowa defense might be on the edges and not even trying to mess with the, that interior of the defensive line. Uh, and I do think if they're going between the tackles, Cain has to be that guy. You're absolutely correct. There, the other three guys, maybe Devin Ford could hold up a little bit, but Slade and Brown probably are not going to hold up in those situations. And, and you know, I think your best chance, though, is to get Ford, to get Kane, to get Slade, to get Brown the ball in space, to get them the ball on the edges – run more sweeps rather than, you know, run more off tackle than than inside zone. Um, You know, get your guys out on the edge, give them space to work, run screens. I know they don't seem to do it much at Penn State, but they really, like if you can get that Iowa defensive line upfield in Sean Clifford's face and let them get the ball out on a screen pass, you're going to have a lot of room to work with because you're going to have a front four that's not there because they're going to be, you know, already seven yards up the
0: field trying to get a sack. Uh, I, I guess I will say this though. I mean, you know, because that's, with 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 Ricky Slade, with with Devin Ford, with Journey Brown, I mean you're right. That's where they make their living. You know, it's the outside, it's the big play. But if you take away every running back's longest run this season, take away every running back's longest run, you know, who leads the team in rushing average? It's Noah Kane by more than a half yard. You know, I mean if you look at Journey Brown or or you look at Devin Ford's you know, yards per carry this season, it, it it's tremendous. But that's because they've all carried the ball, what, like 30? Let's not discount Nick Urie in this conversation. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to. But, you know, they all have between, you know, about 30, 40 carries. And they all have that one long run that's kind of, you know, inflating their yards per carry average, you know, by by about two yards or so. So, I mean, you take that away, you know, the bell curve is a whole lot different for, for Noah Kane. He has a lot more runs that go for three, four, five yards, whereas, you know, Brown, Slade, and and Ford have a lot more that go for, you know, zero, one, two. So, I I mean, yeah, uh, okay, fine. Don't run Noah Kane, you know, between the tackles 40 times. You can take some chances on the outside with these guys. But, I mean, that's the thing. Ricky Ronnie's got a lot of different weapons. He's got a lot of different playmakers. There's a lot of different things he should be able to do. No defense should be able to key in on a certain thing here without him going to something else. And that's why I just feel like the creativity of this offense is so lacking. If you had an elite offensive coordinator on this team, this would be an elite program right now. You know, like, for instance, I would love to see more two running back sets. You know, I think J. Sider would love to see, you know, more two running back sets. Um, you know, and, and that's something that Penn State has, you know, started to implement. You know, obviously a little bit more as the season's gone on. Maybe we'll see that more against Iowa. But, you know, hey, play up to your strengths, especially when someone like Justin Shorter is injured.
1: Yeah, and I would like to see someone like K.J. Hamler a little bit more in the backfield, you know, even out of some pistol and let him, you know, behind Clifford, let him run a little swing to get him in space. And- I mean,
0: that's how Purdue gets the ball to, you know, got the ball to, to Rondell Moore. They, they put him in the backfield. They, they move him all around. And, and, yeah, I feel like we really don't see K.J. Hamler there. You know, very often,
1: and it doesn't even have to just be handler. Jahan Dotson's proven he can do it too. I mean, we all saw the, you know, his running in space this weekend on that
0: in route that he took it to the house. That surprised. Me. I didn't. I, I, I did not think he was that fast. I mean, I, I knew he was fast, but I didn't think he was outrun the entire defense fast.
1: Yeah. No. I mean, he's he's a he's a slim guy. You know, he there's not a lot to him, and he when he gets moving, he can get going. You know, he's got the great acceleration too. That. That obviously helps him in that regard. But, you know, we'll see uh, what, you know, he's able to do uh, this weekend. Obviously, him and K.J. Hamler both are going to have to find some space to operate against Iowa in space uh, you know, and, and I'm going to be interested to see how they handle that. You know, are they trying to go over the top again like they tried the first few weeks? Are they willing to go underneath like they did against Maryland, like they did in the first quarter in, you know, five or so minutes against Purdue, uh, where they tried to get Dotson and Hamler the ball five to ten yards down the field and just let them make something happen. And I think that's the best way to beat this Iowa team, too, because they're not the fastest team on the planet. You know, you can beat them downfield, but the best way to beat them, if they're going to drop their safeties deep, is to, to hit guys in the middle of the field and let them make guys miss. Uh, you know, we'll see if Ricky Ronnie implements that this week. I think Penn State fans should hope that he does. Uh, it should be a major part of the game plan. Uh, I don't know that it will be just because we've seen it so inconsistently in the past, but, but I think those, getting those playmakers ball in bond space as always is going to be vital to Penn State getting a win. Oh yeah. I,
0: I mean, it's, it's vital every week. I mean, we saw, you know, them talk about, you know, KJ, 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 the week leading up to Maryland and then they finally got him his touches and, and he just went off and, I think you could kind of see the frustration in KJ, um, you know, this past Saturday, uh, you know, when he kept, you know, he he wasn't getting the ball on offense too much. I think he finished with with three catches. Um, But you could kind of see, you know, KJ start to press. And, And by that, I mean, you know, look at the punt returns. He had punt returns. Three went backwards because he's trying to find daylight. He's trying to make a play. He's trying to force something that isn't there. And, I mean, it's just not going anywhere. I mean, you know, Penn State needs to make sure, you know, they KJ. This offense has a lot of different weapons. There's a lot of speed on on this entire team, offense and defense. James Franklin has said this might be the fastest team he's ever had, and on the fastest team he's ever had, the fastest player is KJ Hamler. He is their big playmaker, and if he does not touch the ball at least you know five, six, seven, eight times a game, you are doing a great disservice to. K.J., the offense, you're doing a disservice to everyone. I mean, he needs to touch the ball. Good things happen when K.J. Hamler touches the ball. Penn State would not be in the position it's at now without K.J. Hamler. You look back at the Appalachian State game last year, K.J. Hamler, if it wasn't for him, Penn State probably loses that game. You know, K.J. Hamler helped save that season, and he could save this season. He could beat Iowa. I mean, hell, if you give him the ball every single play, I think he could beat them single-handedly. He is a talented player. That might be a bit of hyperbole, but (laughs) uh, get him the ball. Yeah, it's, it's not too difficult. Uh, you know, he had
1: five touches against Purdue total, three catches, two rushes. The rushes went for zero and negative nine yards respectively. Uh, so not the best places to get him the ball there. They try to get it to him in space, but you know, the Purdue did a good job of setting the edge and Hamler had nowhere to go. So that's why you have to get, get him the ball outside of those defensive ends. You know, don't get it to him before he gets outside of them. Let him make something happen. Once he gets outside there, get him outside the numbers, give him space to work. Uh, you know, we'll see if they do it. I, I don't, I'm not even going to try and predict if they're going to get him the ball enough this weekend because it's been, like I said, it's just so ridiculously inconsistent. We saw it with Maryland when they emphasized it so much—six for 108 and a touchdown—and then against Purdue, he has three receptions. So I mean, I, I don't know. You know, they were successful in the first half, sure. So maybe they went away from him a little bit because they didn't have to go to him. But you know, at the end of the day, they're going to defend. You know, when
0: when your offense is is lagging, like what I, I think Penn State Penn State had less than 45 yards of total offense in the third quarter. You know maybe then it seems like a good time you need a big play to go to your biggest big play guy. Um, you know, so it's just, I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's just curious. I mean, you know what I'm saying, you know, for the most part, I, you know, you don't need a, a doctorate in football to, to understand it. And I get that. Listen, that, that Penn state is, you know, they, they always say they, they give what the defense takes, but I mean, hell, that's every single college football team. You know, you need to be, you know, smart enough to, to know, you know, where to put him in the plan, to how to draw up the play, to how to get, you know, Hamler involved. I mean, if you don't know how to get your best offensive player involved in the offense, yeah, I think there's a problem.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty major problem, and, and, you know, there are pretty easy ways to design getting him the ball when Iowa doesn't really have a say in it. And if they do, you have backdoor options to, you know, get a big play with someone else. You know, the screen plays I mentioned, like they don't run enough screens to him. He's got to get the ball on bubbles, tunnels, whatever you want to get him the ball on outside, behind the line of scrimmage. He has to get the ball in those situations. And they're just not right now. Uh, and, you know, it's an Iowa team that is going to try and beat them up the middle and they're not going to have all of that access up there. So we'll see if, you know, they try and work outside with him a little bit more. Maybe, you know, this is the first game that they've been in, you know, that – They've thought they've had a real chance of losing, I guess, because you know, you know, they could have lost Pitt pretty easily, but Pat Narduzzi saved the day for them oh, again. Boy. We won't go on that rant on this episode, but I would like to sometime again soon, just because it's fun. But you know, the, this is a this is a game where it's going to be a real test for them. You know, where just there. real
0: quick, fourth and one, he goes for a field goal. Dumbest play call I've ever seen in my thirty-four years of living on this earth.
1: It was still incredible, and I still love it so much because of the, the level of idiocy it takes to make that call. But, anyways, uh, this is this is the first game that Penn State can look at and be like, okay, well, like we don't know if we're going to come out with a win in this one. Uh, they are favored, like you said. Uh, we'll see if that matters at the end of the day, and we'll see if they're willing to pull out all the stops to try and get the win against Iowa. Because I think if you're a Penn State fan, you're sort of hoping that the offense has been, you know, pulling back a little bit, especially against Purdue. Once you go up and nothing, you
0: don't have to do much is, with is that Penn, defense. Is Penn State-Iowa, is this like essentially a race to 20? The first one to score 20 points wins this game. It
1: might be a race to 10. <laughs> like we it might be a race to 6 i think that's everybody's dream scenario oh, another 6-4 wow. uh where where everybody loses in the end uh but yeah no i think the, that was the
0: first penn state game i ever covered 6-4 that was well i mean it was one hell of a first penn state game to cover but my goodness gracious
1: yeah the the uh we're not, hopefully we're not looking for everybody's sake. We're not looking at another six to four this weekend. Uh, but you know, there's there's a chance that this game doesn't get to double double digits for both teams. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if seven six nine seven is the outcome here. Now, is I'm there, not expecting it, but like I, that's a real scenario that could play out. This I mean, weekend. it's just
0: so weird to me that we're we're even talking about that. Like, how many offensive teams like where where is Penn State in scoring offense right now? Can can, can we look that up? Uh, you know, I I just asked that because. I wonder how many other teams that are ranked as high as Penn State have this conversation where they're like, man, well, you know, will they score 10 or 20 points this game? I mean, don't get me wrong. Iowa's a very good defense, but, you know, I just feel like, you know, if, if you know, Iowa's playing Alabama, no one's saying, hey, is, you know, Alabama getting to 20 points? And, and listen, I know Penn State isn't Alabama, but I'm just saying, you know, usually the, uh, you know, expectations are a little bit higher for offenses. So what? Penn State is fifth in scoring offense, and what do they average a game? Tied for fifth with Appalachian State at forty-seven. Forty-seven points per game, points per game. and we're like, ah, oh, you know, ten points might be pushing it. I mean, that, seriously. I mean, so the so the teams ranked above Penn State right now. Let, let's see here: Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma, you know, LSU. All average at least forty-nine points per game. Ooh yet yeah, this
1: Iowa defense it's something I'm telling you it's something about Kinnick too though something about Iowa that that really gets teams out of sorts that's why I do think there's a chance that Penn State wins this game you know 31 to 13 is is a you know it's in the 25 to 75% probability of this game you know the middle 50% here of what could happen Uh, I don't think it's that crazy for Penn State to win the game by three scores if the offense gets going. I also don't think it's crazy for them to lose 13-0 if the offense is bad. Uh, It's just one of those games where there's a ton of outcomes possible because of the atmosphere of the game, uh, because of the two teams playing, and because we've seen an offense that can be really up and down at times.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the Purdue game was, you know, pretty much could end up being the epitome of the season. You know, you have Penn State hot start. You see what they're capable of. You, know, you see all the talent they have, and then kind of inexplicably after they show all that, they just kind of go in hibernation mode. I mean, it, it's just, I, I don't think there's a really good reason for that. I mean, you know, James Franklin kind of struggled to put it into words after the game. It was just, you know, maybe we just took a breath and we we just exhaled and, and, and we got to know we can't do that. But I mean, I, I, again, I mean, for for about the first 20 minutes to that game was unbelievable. Penn State was unstoppable. The middle 20 minutes, uh, I mean, uh, hell, you, you could say Purdue outplayed Penn State even. Um, you know, it was just, it, it was it was like they were playing, it was like Penn State was a different team playing a different team. I mean, it, it was amazing, you know, how quickly that turned. And you wonder if that middle 20 minutes could be a full 60 minutes against a good defense like Iowa. I think that's a fair question to ask. and And it's weird, you know, Penn State is undefeated. But you still have these, and they're they're averaging more than 40 points a game, and they're the fifth highest scoring offense. And that's still what we're devoting you know most of our talk to because we just don't know it really if if if, if those numbers are for real. If that if Penn State's offense and, and Ricky Ronnie can can keep that on track because we've seen what happens when they get off track. Again, I I I've said it, I said it earlier in this podcast, I'll say it again. I don't think there is another offense in this country that has a higher ceiling at Penn State while having a lower floor.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, why I said, you know, I don't think 31 is too crazy. With Like you said, the, 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 the ceiling is ridiculously high, as we saw against Maryland, and it's ridiculously low, as we saw for about 20 minutes against Purdue and against Pitt. Uh, but, you know,
0: I think – Really, more than 20 minutes against Purdue. I mean, you know, after yep. the first four drives, the last – what was it? 12 drives, 14 drives, they had one touchdown. Yeah, it was just such a weird – and I
1: think, you know – Franklin might be onto something with the, you know, they just sort of took a breath because it did seem like it was like, oh, this game's you know, good and over. Nobody has to worry about it, and they sort of took their foot off the gas completely. And then, you know, it didn't feel like the offense was doing horribly. It just sort of felt like they were going out, and there there wasn't a lot of. I don't know. I mean, Blake Gillikin did
0: punt on like five straight yeah, possessions. Yeah, that's true.
1: But, yeah, no, I mean, but it it seemed like the offense, you know, guys are going through the motions. It didn't seem like there was the same intensity that they came out with to start the game. Uh, But I think this this game this weekend is going to be a good litmus test for this offense. Like, if they put up 30 or more, this is an elite offense. Like, I don't think anyone's going to argue that after what we've seen from the Iowa defense. Uh, You know, if if they win this weekend, you know, by multiple scores, I think then that Ohio State game isn't such a foregone conclusion like I think it is right now. Uh, This is – there's no doubt about it. This game is – is massive not necessarily for the win-loss totals like you said they could lose this game and be fine but if they come out and they show you know if they hit that ceiling this weekend then there's a chance that this is indicative of the rest of the year and how it's going to go and maybe you know maybe 10 and 0 into that
0: Ohio State game isn't isn't that far off base yeah I, I mean it's just crazy I mean even you know three weeks ago we, we kind of looked at our you know preseason you know predictions and and wondered you know if we you know, we picked too many wins or too many losses. And we were both kind of of the same opinion, like, ah, you know, Penn State's playing worse than we thought they would, you know, but they're in better shape than we thought they would be um, because the rest of the big 10, it seemed like it was down so much. And I mean, you look at it now and it's, you know, okay, actually this team could be a lot better than, you know, we, we gave the credit for, I mean, everyone kind of assumed Penn State's defense would be on that elite level. The question was always, can the offense follow? Can the offensive line, know, be not terrible this year, even if they're just average, you know, or slightly better than last year, that would be a plus. Um, but, you know, with, with, you know, a young quarterback who, you know, definitely would, you know, should be a step down from Trace McSorley, um, you know, uh, different running backs, you know, uh, a young group of receivers who struggled with drops last year, there were just a lot of question marks. But, you know, I think we've, we've kind of seen that potential early on that, yeah, at this point, I think it's still a mixed bag. I mean, we're still trying to figure out, you know, whether or not, uh, or, or what this offense is capable of. And and yeah, I mean, I think you said it perfectly. This is a litmus test. You know, where does Penn State belong? If Penn State wins this game convincingly, I mean, Sky's the land. I'm, I'm curious, you know, how far up they'll they'll, they'll slide in the Associated Press rankings. Even if, if no one loses again, I mean, you know, Penn State will still be undefeated and, you know, to have a win like that on your resume all of a sudden, I mean, Penn State, you know, would have not just beaten nobodies, but to, you know, beat Iowa by double digits. I mean, I I think Penn State will have needed to prove everything they needed to prove in the first half of the season already.
1: Yeah, and, you know, to, to throw another metric into play here, Bill Connolly at ESPN, now what the ESPN does, uh, SP Plus, which is a uh, tempo uh, and And doesn't take adjusted. into account the opponents you play. Well, it, it, it does. it, it Enough. It, 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 <laughs> It's a tempo and opponent adjusted measure of of college football efficiency. Has Penn State is the number ten offense in the country right now? And you know why? You know you may disagree about the the him not weighing opponent enough. I I think that they were ranked
0: number one twenty seven in third downs prior to Maryland.
1: Yeah, well, but I I think this is indicative of something for the future. You know what I mean? It's another it's another metric to add to the pile to figure out what this Penn State team is. But I think that's promising. uh, You know, for this team that that they are a top ten team in the country in offense even though they've played poorly for long stretches so far this season. Uh, So, you know, we'll see what team comes out against Iowa, whether it's, you know, the Penn state offense that thrashed Maryland and, you know, maybe goes in and puts up 35 and Kinnick and, and, you know, quiets the crowd quickly, or if it's the one that played those extended stretches against Purdue and Pitt that doesn't show up. And all of a sudden, you know, it's seven to three Iowa near the end of the game and the offense isn't a good in a good position to do anything about it. But, you know, uh, time for predictions as always this week. So I'm going to toss it to you first on this one.
0: Who wins this game and why? Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with Penn state right now. I'm going to say 20 to 13. Uh, so I think Penn state covers the spread and they hit the under for you betters. Um, don't bet.
1: <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, I just, again, I mean, I think Penn state has the higher ceiling than Iowa. I think Penn state's the better team. It really comes down to, can they execute against the Hawkeyes? And, I think they're good for, you know, at least, you know, one or two or three, you know, big plays this game that can lead to a touchdown. And and I think that's that's what's going to be the difference. I mean, I look for, you know, K.J. Hamler to get involved. I, you know, I could see, you know, Noah Kane, you know, getting the ball a little bit more. And we've seen how dominant he can be on certain drives. I mean, you look against Purdue, I mean, again, he had almost all the yards on that, you know, touchdown drive. You look at, you know, Pitt, he had, you know, 50 out of the you know 50 plus yards out of the 80 plus yards on that drive so you know I think those guys can be the difference makers in this game and I think you know for the most part you know Iowa dominates on non-defense but I think they're going to be those few drives combined with Penn State's elite defense that you know makes that game and that score 2013.
1: Yeah I'm going to go with 27 to 17 here and you know again as you mentioned that's the over and Penn State still covers uh <laughs> but uh you know, I just think this team's going to hit a, enough big plays, like you said, to make things happen. And all it takes is three to get to 21, Then you've got two field goals to add there. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the Penn State offense comes out and shows what they can do, and there's a chance that they they hop on Iowa like they did pretty rarely. But I think Iowa will, res- will respond better than Purdue and, you know, make this closer uh, than the Boilermakers did. But at the end of the day, I think the Penn State offense is too much for Iowa to handle, you know, and I don't think there's uh, – you know much they can do to stop them at this point other than hope epineza just gets pressure on every single play which could happen because uh i don't think either of us would be surprised by that because he's that good uh but yeah you know those uh you can find those predictions of course and the rest of our predictions later this week in the seven daily times uh and that'll do it for this week's episode of airing it out you can find us as always on apple Podcasts, spotify google play stitcher and tune in if you want to read Josh and I's writing, you can subscribe to a sports pass from the center daily times. At- it's cheap. Yes, it is at centerdaily.com daily.com backslash sports podcast. That's center C E N T R E. You can follow us on Twitter at, at by Josh Moyer and at John Sauber. Uh, thanks for tuning in and have a great day.